seven divisions, that puts it. But they're living out in the fields. These folks do not occupy the penthouse office. Truth of the matter is, they are on the bottom rung of the totem pole. This is entry-level position. They got the night shift. Anybody work night shift by me? Man, you talk about miserable. Ain't nothing as miserable as working the night shift. Boy, I remember midnight to 8 in the morning, about 4.30, 5.30, 6.30, 7.30, 8.30, 6 o'clock, you perk up a little bit. Oh, 8 o'clock is coming. Praise God. But you're walking around one eye open, one eye shut. Then you try to sleep during the day, and that generally, unless you just black out everything, if you can if, if you can create a, an environment where nothing affects your senses, you can't see nothing, you can't hear nothing, you don't know nothing, you might be able to sleep four or five hours before you wake up because you are just so tired. I don't believe God ever intended for man to work at night. And if I was president, I'd have an executive order saying, from now on, ain't nobody got to work at night. Because old President Andy just loves you that much. Amen. But these old boys was out in the field at night watching the sheep. Now, that's a very exciting job. Bah. Bah. <laughs> well, there ain't much to do. Well, at this period of time, see, they didn't have... Our young kids today, they, they wouldn't know what to do. If they were put in a situation where they did not have a phone or an iPad or some kind of electronic device to stick their nose on, what are we doing? Nothing. What are we going to do next? Nothing. Well, well, what do you mean? We're going to look at these sheep. Something comes after them, run it off. You got to stay awake. You can't go to sleep. You got to stay awake and watch these sheep. And for the most part, you know, the, the scenery never changed. It wasn't a very challenging position. It was one that had responsibility. But you was a shepherd. You're out in the field with the sheep, and, and the sheep get to sleep. But you don't because you got to watch them. So to these folks who were not invited to the social events of the season in the community, to these old boys, like I said, mostly uneducated, at the bottom rung of society's ladder. To these, to these, the angels came. And the glory of God. And you had men in their palaces and, and in, their, in their mansions who tried to create for themselves this same glory that could not. But as the angels came, the glory of God shone round about them, and they were scared to death, just like you and I would be. I, you know, I wonder what would happen if the glory, if the, I'm talking about the Shekinah of God, were to be present in this house, what our response would be. It would be the same as the shepherds. One, it scares scare us to death, and two, we would find our faces on the floor. Our noses would be in the carpet, crying out, Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. These shepherds were scared to death. But the angel said, don't be afraid, guys. We've come with great tidings. We have come with good news because there is born to you today in the city of David. And they knew what that was. That was Bethlehem. There is born to you, bottom of society's ladder. They was, there has been born to you, old boys who are out here in the middle of the night watching these sheep. There has been born unto you a Savior.
Christ the Lord. Why did Jesus came? Jesus came to save. And he came to save everyone. Amen. That angel said, for is born unto you. These boys was more than likely, they didn't have a lot of money. You know, they, they were just you know, like cowboys, except they were sheep boys, I guess. They're looking after sheep instead of cows. You know, and there, there wasn't a lot of advancement in this position. But, you know, where do you go? I mean, uh, the guy that owns a sheep, he may put you up as a, you know, somebody that, that tells the shepherds where to go. But there wasn't no uh, great advancement in this. There was no real possibility of becoming wealthy doing this. You were just kind of locked into this position. But unto you, the guys that never got invited to the parties and, and all this other stuff that, that went on in high society, to low society people, the glory of the Lord shone. And they were told that unto you has been born a Savior, that is Christ the Lord. Now in Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse number 40, this is where it's going to take a little, not a, a turn, but a, a little slight curve. Mark 1 and 40, now a leper came to him, talking about Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. Well, Brother Andy, what's this got to do with, you know, Christmas? The leper came to Jesus. If you are a leper in this context, at this time in history and in this society, you don't go up to nobody. You leprosy is an awful skin disease. It's horrible. It ravages an individual's countenance. You look on them, oh, my, you know, is there anything you can do for that? It invokes pity. You see somebody that's eat up with leprosy, you feel sorry for them immediately. But in this context, in this culture, they didn't go up to anybody. What you did if you was a leper, you covered it up. And as you walked down the road or street or wherever you were at, if you encountered someone, you would cry out, unclean. You would give them warning because everybody was scared to death that they'd catch it off of you. Unclean, don't get near me. Don't, don't touch me. Don't get, don't get close to me. Make a way for me. I am unclean. And, buddy, they would part to let them folks go through. They would run away from them. They were the bottom of the bottom. They were lower than, they didn't even get a job as a shepherd. They were the bottom of the rung. They lived in what we call leper colonies with other lepers. They got together. They lived together. They were humiliated by their condition. They were embarrassed. They were social outcasts. And yet this one leper who knew better, you don't go up to anybody went up to Jesus, fell on his knees in front of him and said, if you are willing, you want to talk about faith, it's faith. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And the Lord's response is one that should bolster all of us tonight when he replied to this leper and said, I am willing. And then he did what nobody else would do in this society. He reached out his hand and touched that leper. And nobody touched a leper. He reached out and touched that leper. And when he did, the power of God flowed through him. 
And remember what he said when the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment? He stopped everything. Somebody touched me. Peter said, what are you talking about? There are thousands of people around here. And you say somebody touched me? But he said, I felt virtue. In other words, he said, I felt the Spirit of God flow through me to somebody. Somebody touched me believing. Somebody touched me. Not only have they touched me, they have just got what they asked for. Woo! I am willing and he reached out to where he was and he overcame this social taboo and he touched the unclean and made him clean. Praise God. Jesus came for the lepers. Then in the 14th chapter of the third verse, he goes even further than that. And being in Bethany, listen, and we touched on a little bit this morning about the woman in the, you know, the, the alabaster box and all that. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the what? Leper. As he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, <clears throat> a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. What in the world was he doing at the house of Simon the leper? Now this is obviously an individual that had a little bit before he got sick with this condition. But now he's a leper. And Jesus is at his house. Jesus went to the house of the leper. Now, we can put that in a modern-day context. AIDS. I remember years ago, well, I got I to gotta, I gotta do, right, <laughs> do this the right way. I prayed for a homosexual in church and another brother, a fellow minister of mine. We prayed for this guy who was an actual practicing homosexual. That is HIV positive. Ooh, I got everybody's attention now, haven't I? And we prayed for him. And after we got through praying for him, the brother grabbed me by the hand and said, follow me. And we went down steps to the uh, bathroom area that was down there. I said, man, what are we doing? He said, you wash your hands like you've never washed them before. And I was like, ugh. I, you know, what do you mean? Wash your hands like you've never washed them before. Because of what that guy's got. Because when that AIDS epidemic broke in the in the 80s and 90s, everybody, can I get it by breathing the same air that they breathe? Well, no, but it, it is contagious. And I won't get into the particulars of that. Only to say that the condition merits the same fear today that leprosy did back then. And, it, and as far as much ground, if you knew that this individual was HIV positive, Full-blown AIDS. You knew that, and you encountered them. You're going to give them a little more than the customary distance. Because we don't, you know, everybody's got that. The only people that are sitting close to each other are folks that are married. You know that? They're married. They're married. They're married. You know, they're married. Praise God. They're like, yeah, glory to God. We're going to sit together in church. There is no error between these two folks right here. And that's good. That's a see right there. You got air between Brian and Dalton. They got a little space, you know. But we would give them folks extra space. How you doing? Good to see you. I got to go. But you take care now. Don't touch me. Now, I mean, we can identify with that. And yet Jesus, in the same context, not only does he reach out and touch that leper, touch that person with and here's the good news Jesus still heals people of AIDS 
There ain't nothing. It's bad grammar, but it's the truth. There ain't nothing Jesus can't heal. Nothing. There is no malady. There is no condition. There is no issue that Jesus Christ cannot heal. If you are willing, that leper said, you can clean me. If you're willing, you can heal me. Jesus said, I am willing, reached out and touched him. And now he's at the house of Simon the leper. What in the world is he doing at the house of Simon the leper, sitting at the table? Are you going to go to somebody and say, what if a group of people who were afflicted with HIV AIDS invited you to come eat supper with them? Now let's just get real. Now I don't think anybody in this congregation is afflicted with that. But my point is, the same fear still exists that existed back then. Jesus overcame that because Jesus came to save. Aren't you glad? Now, what we do is we'll praise God, Brother Andy, I ain't got none of that. We are afflicted with the same condition. It just has a different manifestation. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Makes you feel good, Bren. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Bren, don't set your taxes, by the way, you know. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, what many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Now, a few years ago, I forgot how many now, I was at camp. And at that time, my wife's cousin owned a, a furniture store in Pascagoula. And every year I'd go to camp, I'd, I'd go by there. And uh, say, hey, and I surprise her. Hey, Jean, you know, I'd walk up behind her or something, but just give her a little shot. She'd turn around, ah, oh, it's June. I should have been looking for you to, to come by and, and just say hello, and you know, because she's bowling family and all that. And uh, this particular uh, year, she looked at me and said, Andy, said, can, can Ron and I take you out uh, to eat Friday night? Yeah, take me out to eat, you know. And then, and then she, she said, well, we'll probably go to the casino. And I went, okay. And I, it took me a second, and the Lord had to speak to me. You know what he, speak, you know what he said to me? I ate with sinners, son. Go. So I went. I didn't spend no money. It was an, ed, it was an education. All this James Bond, and I've shared this with you before, all this James Bond stuff about the casino, people wearing tuxedos, that's a bunch of baloney. You got truck drivers and grandmothers. Now, why not? You got truck. I looked around and said, this ain't nothing at all like it looks like on TV. You ever seen the, the uh, commercials for the casinos on TV? La, da, 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 beautiful women in bikinis and all that. That's a lie. That's a lie of the devil. It's a great discipline. I mean, I don't, I'm not encouraging anybody to go to the casino. I'm just saying that if you haven't been to one, it ain't what the TV tells you it is. It's grandmothers and good old boys. And, and they, they're trying to get ahead, you know, cha-ching, ding, 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 ding. They put another thing in there. And they got little cards now. And the thing about it, Ron was such a patron that when we went, there was this long line. i tell you one thing about them casino, but the food is great. And a lot of folks in that area, after Sunday morning service, go to the casino to eat lunch. I didn't know that. 
And I'm not proposing that. I'm just saying. And because Ron was who Ron was, there was this big long line, and man, we passed everybody that line. I thought, boy, somebody gonna get upset and put a knot on me because you know I don't believe in breaking in line. And I, I, I asked Jean. I said, I said, why are we? She said, they know Ron. It's okay. So they, we got seated first, and ate first time ever ate crab legs. <clears throat> Ron had to show me crack them and pull that whatever. And I, I said all that to say this, that. It's not always what you think it is, and it's not always as it is presented. And they asked him, why does your teacher eat with folks who go to the casino, is what he's asking. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does your teacher, why does your rabbi have anything to do with these sinful teachers? First of all, you got the tax collectors. They are collecting money for the Roman government who has occupied our land and under whose thumb we exist. And then you got rank, nasty old sinners and lepers and everything else. All this white trash. Put that in context we can understand. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Listen, listen, listen. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why did Jesus come? He came to call sinners to salvation. Chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 18. Jesus said, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine bibber. Listen, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful tonight that Jesus is a friend to sinners. Because if he wasn't, I wouldn't be here. Amen. Jesus is a friend of sinners. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he went on to say, but wisdom is justified by her children. Jesus heals the lepers. He touches the untouchables. He engages the outcast. He eats with sinners. He did not sin with sinners. But he ate with sinners. I didn't spend no money in that scene, not a penny. Not a, nothing. I was just, my body was just, my meal was paid for by somebody else. Jesus did not sin with the sinners. Listen, but he ate with the sinners. He did not consider himself, although he's the only person who could, to be so far above everybody else that he, here's the truth. Jesus was too good to eat with the sinners. But in spite of that, he ate with them anyway. Jesus is too good. He is too holy to engage sinful mankind, and yet he did it anyway. He came to call the sinners to repentance. He came to save us. Now, we look at the word sinners, and we get a picture in my, our mind of some low-class, low-living person. Somebody, you know, you, you can, if, if you go to uh, the 1180 website, it has the sheriff's report, and uh, you see their photograph and how old they are and what they did wrong. Now, I watch that every day to see if my family is on there because I have pulled it up and said, uh-oh, I'm related to them. But you can see it in their faces. And if we're not careful, having received the benefits of salvation, we'll get haughty. And that is a stench in the nostrils of God. Brother Andy, can I create a stench in the nostrils of God? I'm saved. Yep, you can. Your attitudes surely can. 
Amen. You can look at them. You see them when you go to Walmart. Everybody go to, you know why I talk about Walmart? Because Walmart is running everybody else out of business, just about it. But wherever you shop or wherever you go to engage uh, our culture and our society, you can see them. Low living people. People who live a low standard. They have either a low standard or no standard. They flat just do not care anymore. And they are, and that's a hopeless and helpless position and situation. I told folks, and, and the Lord had to deal with me. But I used to make fun. See, here's how it turns on you. I used to make fun of folks who had tattoos. And then I became a diabetic, and I got to stick myself six times a day now. You know, I go, man, why would anybody get it? I, I wasn't going to get no. There was never a, 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 a worry about me becoming an IV drug user. I ain't sticking myself. There was never a concern about me going. And I, if you got a tattoo, praise God. But I was never going to get a tattoo because I ain't going to let nobody stick me. But we see folks, and I, you know, or, or you have folks who pierce themselves all over and in places that are really susceptible to infection. And you look at them, you go, why are they doing it? And the, it took, the Spirit of the Lord had to deal with me about that. He said, son, don't you realize that these people are so frustrated with who they are, they are willing to go to extreme measures to change themselves. And what they're looking for is me. Amen. You can tat yourself from head to toe. A lot of folks have. You can run that stuff in, you know, pierce yourself all over. You know, your nose, your lip, your tongue. And all these, and I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not looking. I'm just saying people do that because they're dissatisfied with who they are, and they want to be something else. And who they're looking for is Jesus, because that lifestyle does not satisfy. And the Lord got on me. Don't you look down your nose at those folks? Don't you make fun of them? You preach the gospel to them, because I came for them. As I said this morning, think of the worst person you can think of, and I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus Christ died on that cross and shed his blood to save their soul. So we assume, when we use the word sinners, that we're talking about people that's poor, people that's got plastic on one of the windows of their car because the windshield or the window broke out, or that you know they live in pitiful poor conditions. We're talking about poor people, but that's not the case. There is one in Scripture in the New Testament that is an example. 1 Timothy 1 and 15, the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But he didn't stop there. He said, Of whom I am chief. Paul said that. Of whom I am chief. Who is the Apostle Paul? Formerly Saul of Tarsus. When the centurion asked him, how did you become a Roman citizen? He said, it cost me a lot of money to become a Roman citizen. And buddy Paul shot it back and said, I was freeborn a Roman citizen. What that means is that Paul come from a family of people who had something and who were somebody in the community. Saul of Tarsus was not some low-living sinner. He was a high-class sinner. He was looked up to by the community. Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. Let's take a look at his testimony in Philippians 3 and 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, 
rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Brother, that will preach on its own. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I ain't some low-living sinner. That ain't how I was raised. That, that's not who I am. This is, this is my bona fides, if you will. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, the apostle Paul made the effort to conform himself to the law that God gave Moses in every particular. But then he says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. So you see that Paul is not some low-living, poor person who's on the, the, the police blotter, but he is high class. He is well-educated. He's got money. His family's got money. He's somebody. He is on his way to becoming the president of the Pharisee denomination. And yet he tells the church in Rome, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this same apostle Paul, amen, tells Timothy, I am the chief of sinners. Amen. I am chief of sinners. 1 Timothy 1 and 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, put me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Even though I was Saul of Tarsus, even though I was a prominent citizen in the community, even though I pursued the religion of the Jews with zeal, even though I didn't do what the, all these other folks did. We remember what Jesus told us about the Pharisee and the sinner at the altar. And you got a poor old guy, it's just a, a rank, we'll call them rank sinners. I don't know why we do that because all of us were rank sinners before we got. But you got a rank sinner on one end of the altar, you got a Pharisee on the other. And the Pharisee lifts up his head toward heaven and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that piece of trash at the other end of this altar. I thank you that I'm not this low living. You know what? At the end, I'm glad, I'm thankful, Lord, you delivered. And if you, we're not careful. I'm talking to holiness Pentecostal folks. If we don't get our attitude sanctified, we will be just as bad as that Pharisee. Now, I am a flying ointment to a lot of my brethren because I remind them, especially when I'm in this good holiness comic, I remind them that before the grace of God, there we go. So you got the Pharisee who's thanking God that he's not like this piece of trash at the other end of the altar. And then you got this poor rank sinner at the other end of the altar who rips open his shirt and beats his breast and says, Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, said, I tell you that that man went home justified. I tell you that that man went home forgiven. I tell you, that man went home saved and the other did not. Amen. 
And Paul said, I did all of that. I kept the rules. Amen. Now I'm talking to holiness folks here. We got to be careful. Holiness, we are, we are the world's worst. If we're not careful, we'll be so proud of our separation that it becomes haughtiness. And that is a stench in the nostrils of God. We are not too good to share the gospel of Christ with anybody. And here's one, hold on to your pew. As I celebrate my 25th anniversary as the senior pastor of this church, everybody is welcome through them doors. Everybody, I just felt the Holy Ghost. Everybody is welcome through them doors. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they've done. They're welcome through those doors. They are welcome to a seat on these pews. Amen. To hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. You say, well, brother, what about these low-living people that I, that, I, you know, that I see in town or at the store or at Walmart? They are welcome to come to this church. What about that fellow that's, that's, that's rich? I mean, he's well-to-do, and he's got everything anybody ever asked for, and it's like he can buy anything he wants, go anywhere he wants, do anything he wants, but he's lost. He's welcome in this church. He is welcome here to hear the gospel of Jesus. What about that fellow that's tatted all over and is stuck and pierced? And now, and I, you know I saw, what I saw? The, I don't know, this ain't got nothing to do with it, what I saw the other day. I saw a Hispanic guy with a Kim Jong-un haircut. The first thing I thought, I almost had a wreck. I doubled. I said, what? Somebody told that guy that looked good. And he obviously believed him. If they got a Kim Jong-un haircut, they're welcome to come here. Amen. These doors are open. Of the first Jesus Christ mission. came. That is the salvation of people's souls. What happens to us, the benefits of salvation are so wonderful. Anybody ever experienced a benefit of salvation lift your hand I have received a benefit of salvation since I got saved the Lord has blessed me Woo. since I got saved the Lord has helped me since I got saved I got beside myself in, in, in an altar service or worship service and I, I, mean, I just let, let the Lord Spirit of God have his way and man I did stuff I, you know, I never thought I'd do amen I've jumped, shouted, run spoke into you name it they're welcome to come here because it is our responsibility to tell that lost man or woman what I shared with you this morning. We, we have become so, we have emphasized the blessings of salvation. We've got out of balance to the exclusion of our number one purpose, and that is to share the gospel with the world. And that gospel is simply this, like I shared with you this morning. Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. He is, in fact, God the Son. And for those of you who wasn't here this morning, you need to, I, I, I ain't puffing myself. I'm just telling you the Lord gave me a message this morning. Somebody told Mama Chowdhury. Somebody told that high caste, a high-caste Hindu woman that had every advantage because of her birth and her family and her name. I am Indian. I am high-caste Hindu. I am better than you are, low-caste person. I am better than you are by reason of my birth. I am high-caste. 
I've gone into convenience store and, and, and folks will mend you behind and I'll engage them in conversation. Do you, do you know folks in Hyderabad? No, Hyderabad, yeah. Uh, Vijawar, they're not so familiar with that. That's not as big a city. Visaka, oh, Visaka on the coast. Yeah, I, I know all that. I said, I have family over there. They're going to be like, you do? White boy. I said, yeah, buddy. I got family over there. The Chowderies. And more than once, they took a step back. Mm, Chowdery. I've heard them say it. Chowdery. High cast. I said, no. Child of God. Apostle. He don't, boy, man, he, he, if he ever finds out I've said that, he will get me. Brother Andy, you should not be telling people. That. Well, brother, the truth is that according to the New Testament, you have met every, you know, qualification I can find in the New Testament. He does not claim. And, and these are guys who don't, they don't put it on their business card, okay? And I see folks do that and I go, oh, help us, Jesus. But because somebody told that high caste Hindu woman, and I don't know when she was told, if it was during this, this deal where her husband died or before it, but somebody told this little high caste Hindu woman that Jesus was God. Jesus, they tell me you are the God of the Christians. If you are God, if you will heal my son, I will serve you and you alone for the rest of my life. And that little high caste Hindu woman prayed that prayer that nobody growed up in Sunday school would pray because we would never speak the phrase, if you are God. She didn't know any better. But she found out. Because after that prayer left her lips, her son is healed. Amen. And not only is he healed, he is anointed by God. He is touched. And today, he oversees a vast ministry in India and thousands, thousands of people are coming to know what his mama found out, that Jesus is God. It is our responsibility, one, to let that sinner know that he's a sinner. Even no matter, and it's not, a, it's not a question of outward appearance. It's a question of the condition of the heart. We need to let that sinner know, rich or poor, that they're a sinner. And the second thing we need to tell them is that Jesus is God Almighty. For the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We are his eyewitnesses. Amen. Peter said, I got a testimony. I went up on that mountain with him. We couldn't heal that boy having those convulsions and, and, and those fits and everything. Uh, his daddy brought him to us. We couldn't heal him. We went up on the mountain with Jesus. I heard the voice of Jehovah God the Father. Amen. I, 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 I saw the Shekinah emanate from Jesus himself. Can you imagine as he began to glow with the Shekinah glory of God Almighty on that mountain? And then when they, when they come down, I mean, put this in context, folks. Peter has heard the voice of God. He has seen the glory of God emanate from the body of Jesus Christ. He has been an eyewitness to a miracle, a divine confirmation of the divinity of Jesus. 
He has experienced all that. The Lord has experienced that. Comes down off the mountain, and what does he do? He heals that boy. God Almighty, holy, sinless, perfect, and infallible. King of kings and Lord of lords. To whom the angels listen and obey without question. When he comes down off that mountain, what's the first thing he does? Boy, we got a boy here. And, and put it in modern terms, he's, he has epileptic seizures. And we prayed, but <coughs> we, <coughs> we haven't been able to get anything done for him. Dad's, and the, Dad says, can you help him? He's, you you got to be ready for this, he says. You have to prepare yourself for the, bring him to me. Best thing you can do is bring somebody to Jesus. Bring him to me. He healed him. He's just come down off the mountain. He has the right. Can you imagine if the Shekinah were to emanate from him in any other type of, I mean, that was a private setting in a public setting. Why did Judas do that anyway? Why did he betray the Lord? You know, and I, I'm not justifying what he did, but I can understand to an extent where he's coming from because this same Judas has borne witness to our Lord and Savior Jesus to Christ, command the elements of nature. Peace be still. Judas was in the boat when Jesus stepped in and the wind stopped. And they all bowed down and said, truly, you are the Son of God. I can understand from a, from a fleshly, carnal perspective, Judas going, I'll take you money. What are you going to do to him? <laughs> Go for him. He'll kill you and a horse you come in on. Send the Roman legions after him. He'll destroy them with the word of his mouth. You ain't going to do nothing to him. I'll take you money. You ain't going to do nothing to him. I'll go up. I'll kiss him. Have at it. Judas expected this demonstration of God's power, but that's not what Jesus came. Jesus did not come to destroy the enemy. He came to save them. And he willingly, after all that in the Garden of Gethsemane, great drops of blood coming out like sweat of his brow, after all that, and as I grew up singing that song at Easter, he could have called 10,000 angels, honey, it would have only took one. He could have called, I can't sing, 10,000 angels to destroy the world. He didn't need 10,000 angels. It would all respect whoever wrote that song. He just needed one. And the truth of the matter is, he didn't need one. He could have said, be destroyed, because what comes out of Jesus' mouth happens, folks. But he didn't. He let them bind him. He let them scourge him with that cat of nine tails. They let him deface him. He let them torture him. He laid down on that cross when he could have got up and killed every one of them. But he didn't. He didn't struggle. He didn't offer any resistance. He spoke not a word. He laid down on that cross, and it hurt. He was in extreme pain and discomfort, to say the least. And they drove those nails through his hands and through his feet, and he did not struggle back. And they plopped that cross in the, in the hole in that ground, and it hurt. And he would have to push up on his ankles and his feet in order to breathe, and it 
hurt. It was painful. But that was not as painful as what he knew he was fixing to experience when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the Father laid the sins of the whole world on him, on that cross. To save us, sinners. You call a sinner, and everybody who reached an age of accountability and you knew it was wrong when you did it, but you did it anyway, you knew it was wrong and you didn't care, you did it anyway, you knew it was wrong, but it felt good, so you did it anyway. You had a choice. You didn't have to do it, but you did it because you wanted to do it. And the next opportunity you had, you did it again. So you're not just sin, but you became a sinner. So let's not get haughty, folks, who have received salvation from a holy God, who have received the righteousness of Christ by faith, who have been justified just as if we have never done anything wrong. Only God can do that. What Jesus has done for us. Praise his holy. That's why I, I say pray, we praise your holy and righteous name. It's, I'm not Jesus only, but beloved, I am Jesus preeminent. Because the day will come when every knee shall bow. I read the scripture this morning. Every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to do it now. Can you imagine being a lost person and doing that and then knowing there's no hope for you? But we who have received salvation, we have that hope. And we have the responsibility to do what who I want to meet that person when we get to heaven. And I don't think, Lord, I, I, I want to meet that person. I want to go up to them and shake their hand. I want to go up to them and hug their neck. Whoever that person was that told Mama Chowdhury that Jesus is God, I want to find them in the kingdom of heaven. I want to tell them, thank you. I appreciate what you did. You had no idea what that simple expression of truth accomplished. You have no idea what that little seed, whoo, that I'm trying to quit, folks, that little seed that you sowed in that high-caste Hindu woman, you have no idea, well, maybe you do now, of the fruit that was born from that. From, from that conversation, from that exchange of truth, Jesus is God. From that kernel, a great tree rose up out of the ground, and fruit has been. And how many folks? I wonder how many folks gonna come up to that person. You are the one. You told Mama Chowdhury about Jesus. I got saved in a revival led by Moses Chowdhury. I got saved at a church service. Somebody invited me to, and a man who called. I didn't know what who what he meant by Mo Moses is not a Hindu name. Moses is Jewish name. I did not know what Moses meant. I know what Gulapali means, and boy, I know what Chowdhury means. I don't know what Moses means, but this man spoke to us, and he shared Jesus with me, and I believed it, and I got saved, and I'm in heaven. But I got to trace myself, whoo, glory. I got to trace my salvation back to somebody that told Mama Chowdhury that Jesus was God. And from that... I got saved. It is a privilege for this congregation. It was a God, move of God, in 1989 through, through Dolus Messer who introduced us. And I remember that first night that he came, stood 
that little building over on Bella Avenue, shared his testimony with us, talked about his mama tears running down his cheek, dripping off his chin. He spoke about his mother. And she served him without fail from that day on. That's the Jesus we serve. That's the gospel we preach. Jesus came to save sinners. Let's resolve in our own hearts, as much as the blessings of salvation are so wonderful, but our emphasis is not on the blessings of salvation. Our emphasis is on the Savior, Jesus Christ. Stand with me all over the house. He said, I'm done.